0: My name is Nina Compton, and this is The Cause Catch-Up, a series of conversations between friends about creativity, life, and style. I'm a chef based here in New Orleans, and I am very proud to introduce my good friend, Marcus Samuelson. And if you don't know Marcus, he's a world-renowned chef based in Harlem. And Marcus, happy to see you. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. Thank you for having me, Nina.
0: How are things in Harlem? Um,
1: you know, we're getting on. It, it's been uh, a lot of uh, positives. You know, we are adjusting, you know, as people, just as like in NOLA, people in Harlem are, are strong and community-driven, so we have adjusted. But it's also really tough and sad, you know. I, I'm, I'm torn constantly between the beauty I see in my community.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely a different time. And it's, you know, let's backtrack to, you know, how we first met,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, when I remember the first time I met you was actually it was Scott Conant at South Beach, Food and & Wine. And it was many, it was many years ago. And I remember,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, when you look at those times and I'm like, man, it seems like an eternity that we were, you know, we had our toes in the sand, drinking champagne at Food & Wine on Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. and just having a good time and you know i think that our rapport has gained so much traction over the years especially through leah chase Mm -hmm. um and then your connection and also with your with your book as well that has been really great
1: well i mean i've kept an eye on you for a long time i know (laughs) i've known about you more probably early than you think Uh, i actually knew when you started at danielle
0: oh really (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) And that's like notes. Okay, there is this young woman coming up here. She's really strong. And then Scott was always talking about you, like, this badass. She's so good. She's strong. <laughs> and uh, so I always knew. So that was, for me, was not the first time. Uh, you know, being a being a chef, being a black chef, uh, I've always wanted to look out and, you know, be there for other talent, you know, mentor from afar or, you know, because when I was coming up, it was very hard to find mentors that look like us. Right. And uh, we also have this connection because one of my dearest friends and chefs that I worked with for the longest time, it's like a brother to me, uh, Kingsley John, he's from St. Lucia. So I'm like, I know two people from St. Lucia and they're both chefs and they're both <laughs> badass. So, so Nina, I've known about you for a very, very long time actually.
0: You know, it, it's so funny because Kingsley and my eldest sister, they went to school together. And I remember Kingsley called me up. He's like, oh, I'm working for Marcus Samuelson. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's such yeah. a big deal. You know, because Senusia is such a small island. And when you see people from your island, you know, progress into you know the bigger stratosphere, it's just so amazing and mm-hmm. you know we want to see people that you grew up with really excel so i was just so happy that he found you know a home with you that was just yeah. such a a great feeling
1: and king is king is very special right so king i sent kingsley to france to work in his three-star michelin restaurant when he was a kid he was 22 years old sending him off yeah. to france and then he went to Charlie Trotter to work, you know. So he's 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 grown and he's just an amazing guy and he's the true leader of, of our tribe, you know. But uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, St. Lucia is this hidden gem. Mm-hmm. It's not as touristy as maybe Jamaica or other islands. But if you want a good time, and if you don't know a good time, this is like a dividing, this is like a dividing, you know, line in the sand. If you go to Dauphin Street, to uh, Groselais on, a, I guess it's Friday when it's like. Friday, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explain, paint us a picture what that is like, because it's the biggest vibe in the world.
0: It is, you know, Groselais Friday night is, it started off as like a local, you know, get together, like end mm. of the week, let some steam off and start your weekend right. And it starts pretty much you know when people wrap up work so i would say like 5:30, 36 o'clock people start mm-hmm. to trickle in you know the sun is setting you know you have a you know a couple of glasses of rum with some friends the sun go down and you know people are grilling you know chicken or you know flying uh frying you know fish so you have this does the air is perfumed with all these beautiful smells and there's music mm-hmm. playing and then you know, people have a couple of drinks and they start to loosen up and everybody starts to dance. And it's, it's such a wild scene and you just can't help but just escape everything that yes. every worry you have in the world. And, yes. you know, I hadn't been to Groselé Friday in, in years. Um, and I went, this must be like three years ago, I had the best time. Yeah. It's so much fun because there's, you just let go everything and it's just mm-hmm. a fun vibe.
1: You know, and it's like beautiful stuff in the Caribbean very often comes out and it becomes the thing. And then eventually tourists takes over and it's not the thing anymore. It's not the local thing. So I went to uh, to cook in uh, St. Lucia maybe 10 years ago. And then three years ago, I went back. And the first thing I said to my guy was, hey, we're going to gros And you're right. it had it, it hadn't changed. It was still a local vibe. Maybe a couple of more tourists or so. But it was still... By the local, for the locals, and yes, it was just such so. a great vibe, you know.
0: Yes, it's it's it's, and that's the great thing about the Caribbean. It's just fun, um, and there is no pretense. There's no mm-hmm. um, everybody's everybody, you know, and it, it's just we're just a welcoming kind of, I, I would say, community. And that's the great thing about the Caribbean because we we celebrate everything. You know, we celebrate all cultures, and we are intrigued by different cultures.
1: Talk to me about growing up on the island. Uh, you know, like uh, what African Caribbean have in common is many things, but it's also this idea of you're talented. You should leave the island and go away. That that identity in Africa, same thing. You're really good in school you should probably go to London or go away. That idea that your dreams have to go elsewhere. and um, It's just a different way of thinking, but, you know, I'm sure in St. Lucia it's the same in many ways, right?
0: It is, and, and that's, that's why I ended up in, you know, in the States going to culinary school because, you know, I went to, I started working as a young cook at Sandals, Sandals Resorts, mm-hmm. which, you know, hotels are very... Um, they're common here, mm. um, you know, then that's the only format that we have as in terms of restaurant exposure internationally is working in a hotel. And I had went through all the stations, all the different restaurant outlets, and um, it was just, I, I felt like I hit a plateau. So I went mm-hmm. to the general manager, I said, you know, I really want to learn something new. And he said, well, we have another hotel in Jamaica if you want to go there. And I did the same thing and I said, I'm like, you know, chef, I'm not really moving up. You know, I feel like I'm not, I've, I've hit my, my, my mm-hmm. cap. And he said, well, the next step for you is to go to culinary school. And I said, okay. And then I, I asked him like, how do, how do I do that? And he said, well, there's two options. You go to Johnson Wales or the CIA. Wow. And I went back to my parents and I said, I want to go to culinary school. And they said, listen Nina, culinary school is not cheap. Listen, I have been working you know, as, as a young cook, a cook apprentice for two years, I think I really want to do this. So then I went to CIA and for me that was just, it opened everything up mm-hmm. because I was exposed to the mother sauces. You know, Caribbean cooking is very simple. We're talking rice and peas, braised oxtail. There's no mother sauces. Um, so for me, I was just a sponge. I was sucking everything up and really taking it in. And for me, I was just like, I, I was addicted. Addicted yeah. to learning. And that's why I ended up working at Danielle because at that time, I'm like, if I'm gonna be in this country for a short time, you know, because I went to culinary school, I want to learn from the best.
1: Absolutely.
0: And yeah. I remember walking into that restaurant like it was yesterday and everything was just beautiful and shiny and just very organized and just, Mm -hmm. I was just taken away, um, you know, by everything and just the, you know, perfection or nothing was Mm -hmm. kind of the message that you got when you walked in. And I think the biggest moment for me at Danielle was when Paul Bocuse came in for lunch. Beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, the Godfather is here, you know? So when you have those those memories as a young cook, it never leaves you and it just, it excites you and you you want more and more and more um, each day. So for me, I wish I, I'm still addicted to cooking, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now, you know, that was, I've kind of moved, shifted a little bit because for me it was, Learning things I didn't know before, learning different cuisines. You know, working with Scott Conan, learning Italian cuisine from somebody that is very gifted in, in that in that as, in that aspect. But now I'm kind of shifting to kind of like back to my roots. Beautiful, and, beautiful. And when I decided to open up Compella Pen, I was like, you know, people said we have this restaurant space. It's for you um what's your concept and i was kind of like shocked because i'm like i can cook anything i want and i'm like i could do french i can do italian and i said no i said i'm gonna do caribbean food because this is me this is nina compton this is me on a plate yes and i really want to take people kind of back to the caribbean and understand where i came from kind of my journey you know, there is some Italian and French influences on the menu, but it was things that I loved, things like jerk chicken, things like curried goats. That is my comfort food. So when people come to the restaurant, they cannot get the gist of, okay, this is Nina Compton. Now I know where I am. It's kind of a time and a place thing. And I see a lot of that with you as well, because with mm. your cooking, I think it's you have such a delicate touch with mm. everything. And, you know, you have such an interesting story please tell our viewers about your story marcus it's so special
1: thank you and i think uh your journey is interesting because you have to go away you have to get distance and then to come home right that's really what as a creative what you're talking about you have to look at the french you have to work with the best and you have to even shifting it going to england going to new york going to miami and all those subtle moves set you up for where you are today. Even if you couldn't see it when you were on that journey, it's all made you ready for the most toughest times, whether it's post-Katrina or whether it's during COVID, which we're still in, we're not post-COVID, especially, particularly communities like NOLA and Harlem, because it's, it's really vulnerable beautiful communities but also highly vulnerable you know my journey is is we all have a journey you know my journey has a lot of luck hope faith and i wouldn't want to take one ingredient out of it you know the fact that we were born in ethiopia i go back to that hut where my mom my sister and i where we live it's smaller then two, four tops in your restaurant, Nina. Yeah. But I, I go back to it every year and I bring my wife and my son and it gives me, you know, you come from Caribbean, you know the simplicity also comes strength. And um, I draw from that experience. There's no electricity. There's two hours walk for water and so on. But it also gives you strength. And um, being adopted just didn't happen. It was a lot of goodwill. Mm -hmm. There was a nurse at the hospital that decided what's going to happen with these kids. She took us in, and then she took us in for three, four months until we can get adopted to Sweden. This nurse, by the way, she already had three kids of her own. So she didn't have to do that. That was something that she decided to do. You know, so that, that slice of luck and goodwill in others is right there, right? So I've always... I always go back to that. So if I can help out somebody else, if I can give that sense of goodwill to somebody, when I can, I'll try to do it. Um, You know, I went from the warmest country in the world to the coldest country in the world. Mm -hmm. I went from a Kasahunse guy, which is my birth name, to Marcus Samuelson, And, you know, family's family, you know, like my parents were white. My sister's half Jamaican, uh, half Swedish and my other sister and I would come from Ethiopia but we created we were that family Mm -hmm. right and yeah we were the odd ones on the block odd ones in the school but it also created a lot of strength uh, within the family Um, and I I always left the house with a lot of confidence you know my mom was very I knew that I was loved i never had doubt on that and i had two parents you know (laughs) i had more fear of my mom than i had of the the teachers or whatever so but it was really they were in front of me and they were back behind me and then a big influence was the extended family my grandparents that grew up very very poor and it's from my grandmother's cooking um I developed my love for cooking, not from my parents, mostly from my grandmother. And you and I, we talked about Leah a lot, but I see so much of my grandmother in Leah.
0: Yes. You know,
1: strong. Yes. The way Miss Leah Chase is this iconic chef that just passed away in New Orleans. And, you know, she, Duke Chase is still there, but they opened the restaurant in the 40s. And, um, you know, that... Just the way Leah tastes the sauce, and the same way my grandmother tastes the sauce, like she, she she makes her hands like a little cup, she pours the stew straight in the hand,
0: <laughs>
1: and then she slurps it up, right? Because they don't want metal. They don't want anything to be in between the sauce and um, the hands. They don't want the most naturally. Those are, th- that's like an old school way of tasting something. So I think, that and also saw the strength you know um it's it's poverty was talked about a lot in my house although it was very you know you're a kid and you don't really know how to do. what are you talking about right but poverty was talked about in the house and i'll tell you a small story so during post the second world war there was ransom books in sweden you had to have ransom. you have to tell this is how much flour you can buy this is how much potato you can buy etc right guess what during COVID, now in April, it took me an hour and a half to get into the store because nobody delivered. And I stood outside and had to make plans. What am I gonna get for my family? Because the meat would already be gone. And it was going back to that idea of what my grandparents taught me. So me and my wife, we became vegetarian for five months because Mm -hmm. once you got into the store, Nina, there was another hour by the protein By the protein test, right? So it connected me to my grandparents again 40 years later.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, I think my grandmother was the same thing. She was a nurse in the World War, and she went through a lot of stuff. And she Mm -hmm. met my grandfather, who was a doctor, Mm -hmm. St. Lucian. And after the war, he wanted to go back home, and she fell in love with him. And they got married. Um, and he went back home. And there was no there's no planes that you can just jump on a plane and just <laughs> fly back. So she was actually on a cargo ship that exported bananas from Saint Lucia to England. Mm-hmm. And they had, I think, like 10 cabins. So she was on this banana boat that she took a 10-day trip to Saint Lucia and there's no internet to Google yes. what St. Lucia looks like and this, you know, yeah. and the same thing. And she, she got there. And this is in the forties it's not mm. a very developed Island. So we didn't have, you know, proper roads. Um, not many people had cars at the time. A lot of the, some of the houses didn't have electric, electricity. So, you know, she, hearing those stories of her coming to St. Lucia from a first world country to this mm-hmm. small island that is is not developed. You know, she was telling me that she, from, to go to the capital, she'd take a water taxi mm. because the roads were just not developed. Yeah. And she would tell me she had to cook on a coal pot because the house that she was living in didn't have any power, you know, this is, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't really a thing back then. Yeah. And she's English. So she's telling me, you know, as an, you know, somebody from England, I like to have my cup of tea in the morning. And she's like, it would take me 45 minutes to get this cold pot ready to have tea. And so a lot of these things you take for granted because mm-hmm. they went through a lot of hardships. And, you know, when I met Le- Leah Chase for the first time, I instantly locked eyes with her mm-hmm. and I, I saw my grandmother in Leah Chase. Beautiful. I think that was a, just an um, instant gravitation towards her because she she has this muggly effect. Mm -hmm. And as a chef, you know, she, she was in her nineties when I moved Mm -hmm. here. And I remember, um, she came in for dinner and she was just so gracious. The next day I brought her flowers to a restaurant and I didn't think she was going to be there. So I had this, you know, bouquet of roses. And I said, Oh, this is for, you know, chef, chef Leah. So she's in the kitchen if you want to go back and say hi. And I, I came in and there she is, stirring the gumbo. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, I would tell her, I'm like, I'm like, Miss Leah, you need to retire. Put your feet up. And she's like, no, no, no. Yeah. I love what I do. And I think that's what really kept her going for so long is because she yeah. was in her kitchen cooking and doing what she loved. And also she's surrounded by her family. I mean, you exactly. have a daughter, her grandkids, everybody's involved in the kitchen. Her grandson is a chef now. A granddaughter is running the bar program. So it's a very big family affair. Beautiful. And I think that's what is just so beautiful because you don't really see that very often where it's mm-hmm. the entire family is involved yes. in every aspect in the restaurant. So for me, having, you know, being part of, of that and also seeing culinary royalty, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was just a beautiful thing. And I was yeah. very fortunate to know her before she passed.
1: I think, you know, first of all, when I started work on The Rise, your name was one of the first names that I knew, like, you have to do, we have to do something around Nina. And I think with your background, a city like New Orleans, is a perfect place for you because if you think about most children in the Caribbean have everything part white part black part Indian yeah <laughs> uh some part Chinese uh some are Hindu some are Christian some are Muslim like people and I say that because the rice cookbook is really about the non-monolithic dialogue of being black. What it means to be black is not one thing, right? It as black people we all know that. But it's so rarely as creatives that we have an opportunity to express ourselves, right? Uh in a multiple. You know, and that's why I always owe I feel we owe so much to music because if you wanna if you want to talk about music, American music or, or Afrobeat or gospel or hip hop or R&B, it gives you these buckets that the, the listener right away know it's a promise. When we talk about black food in America, it gets narrowed down to something. And uh, so conceptually, I was like, no, it needs to be like the Caribbean because a Haitian person is black but cooks very different than a Jamaican person. There right. are similarities, but if I'm going to a Haitian restaurant, I'm looking for grill. I'm looking for pickles. If I'm going to a Jamaican restaurant, I'm looking for my jerk. I'm looking maybe for my curry stew. So those are the things that we share. So Caribbean has done this incredible way of explaining its identity, yet its unity. In the, in the cricket team, it's one, yeah. but in, even in music, it's very different and diverse, where maybe part of the Southern Caribbean is more soca-based and then you go further up and you have everything from reggaeton, etc., and reggae, of course. And that was really a way for me to start the rise, was really like, let's look at the Caribbean because there are true identities. And then once I did that, your name, Greg Godet came up early. It, was, it helped me identify these people that I know, admire, and wanted to like, hey, let's broadcast beyond them, right? And you know, it's, it takes four years for me to do a book. It takes a very, very long time. Yeah. But through that process, things changed. And I think this year, 2020, we will all remember 2020. It's yeah. a year that we're gonna talk about for further generations.
0: I went through a lot of, it was a roller coaster of emotions. I think mm-hmm. the first emotion was, we're not going to shut down. We're going to fight through this. Yeah. And then we could not fight against the city anymore. They, mm-hmm. they enforced the laws. And then it was kind of a little bit of doubt, self doubt saying, you know, I failed my team because I felt, because mm-hmm. as, as a leader, you know, as a chef, You know, you're in charge of so many people's day-to-day lives. Sure. And you are always the one that they look to for the answers. Hey, chef, when is the fish coming? It'll be here at four o'clock. Chef, how many covers do we have on tonight? 185, the Mm -hmm. biggest push at six. You always have the answers. Yeah. And this was the first time that I didn't have the answer because I did not know what was going on. Wow. So the stress of my staff looking to me saying hey chef what's the plan what's going to happen and i am i don't know and Mm -hmm. that was very stressful because i I like to be in charge you know of course i think we all like to know what's going on lead the team they're behind you they're following you they they'll fight to death for you Mm -hmm. and when you don't have the answers you kind of feel like i'm letting my team down because i don't know the answers so you feel like now, are they doubting you? You know, they're they're looking to you for the answers, and you just like I I don't know. So I went through a lot of that, and then I kind of got into the fighting mode of. I need to I need to build this back. I need to get I need to get this restaurant open. I need to bring my staff back. They're relying on me. Mm-hmm. I need to make this happen. So that was kind of it. Kind of reversed roles a little bit, yeah. where I was more driven to to make it happen because these people are relying on me
1: I so- think what you talk about is the journey that a lot of chefs went through and and I went through it's like a mirror image what I went through I definitely felt I let my team down I also felt like wow I missed so much on my son yeah I've I've I maybe I could drop him off at school once or twice a week, but I didn't have dinner with him. And now this was in, a very weird pulling the plug in a way that I wasn't prepared for, right? Mm-hmm. So there's been a silver lining there, but as chefs, you know, for people who are listening, the word restaurant means to restore your community. And as a chef, yes, you are the creative force, but you're also a tribe leader. What well, you talk about, about, Young cooks or managers or service, they ask, they look for us for so much more beyond the plate. They're like, Can I be if you're a busser, can I become a runner? So we're really there to mentor them. And it, it we're talking about two restaurants, there's hundreds of people. And when you're not there for something you've been trained and loved to do for over 20 plus years, it's not a job. It's a really big part of yourself, which is a very difficult thing to explain for the majority of people who goes to work like you're not going to work you're going to your other family. I know you created a tasting menu during this whole thing. Tell me about that. I was like I called you and you're like I'm doing a tasting
0: menu. (laughs) I, I remember that. I mean people thought I was crazy but you know when you close a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic and you have to reopen I mean, back in March, we had very little information about running a restaurant. You know, all we were told back in March was, make sure you wash your hands, don't shake any hands, don't hug, You know, distance yourself six feet. That's all we had.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: back in March, nobody was really wearing a mask,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, especially in restaurants. Um, so to reopen the restaurants, I mean i i was quarantined for a while you know Mm -hmm. i was not really going out i wasn't going to friends houses so i kind of felt a little bit iffy coming back to work bringing my team back you know um making sure everybody was safe then let alone let guests come into the restaurant now you're adding another thing to the equation and i'm like i need to make it as safe as possible so I'm like, okay, let's have some fun with it. We have never done a tasting menu format in a restaurant. We want to make it safe for the staff and also for the guests. So we'll do one table only. And we'll just, you know, I, I just feel like we could control the narrative there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms of safety, you know, wearing gloves, sanitizing, doing all these things. Um, and also build up the trust between the staff and also the trust with the guests. That was kind of the way of easing into it. So that was successful. You know, it sold out in in minutes. Yeah. You know, uh, it was fun. We had a lot of people that were older that didn't want to come out to restaurants because they were, they just felt unsafe, but they felt safe coming to the restaurant, just the one table. We had some people that treated that as their private, You know dining room they're like turn the music up we want to dance they were dancing and that's what we what i loved about the entire thing with the restaurant because we went from doing takeout to the one table only Mm -hmm. and takeout was fine but it wasn't fulfilling because as chefs we want to feel the energy in the dining room we want to hear people laughing we want to hear people say oh my gosh you know i had the the coconut soup it was so amazing we, we're we not doing it for the money. We're doing it because we want to make people happy. So when you have people in your dining room and you just see the joy in their face, because a lot of people were stuck at home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very uncertain time. They, they probably got tired of their cooking. <laughs> yeah. And they just want to have a treat. So we have a lot of people that are coming to the restaurants now and they are just happy to be out. Of course. And,
1: I and your that- restaurant is so beautiful. La Pen is like it pours out to the street, it's open doors, and you, you don't really know, am I, part of, am I in the street or am I part of the restaurant? And then you pop in to this beautiful bar and kitchen, and once the food arrives, you know you're in a restaurant because it's precise cooking, and it's elegant, and it's graceful, but most, more than anything, it's delicious. And finding that grace between doing home cooking, deliciousness, but also finding that elegance that you worked on for so long time. It's like a ballerina walk. How do you find that balance? How do you hit that? those two different tones that are very different?
0: Yeah, well, I think it, it comes down to, to refined comfort. You know, mm-hmm. I think people want something that is approachable, but also in a different way. Yeah. You know, I think that... Um, Especially now, people just want simplicity. Yeah. They want to be taken care of. They want to be, um, you know, just out of the element for a little bit. You know, I mm-hmm. think for myself as well, since this pandemic hit, I kind of have limited, you know, my outings. Yeah, sure. You know, so when I, when I go out, it it's just seems so much more special. And I'm sure a lot of people are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. When they're going out, they want to have a good time. Yeah. And I think that that is something that is really nice to have because it's it's that, it's a bigger treat now. Sure. And I think that a lot of people, myself included, I have definitely tried to slow down a little bit and preserve a little of that quarantine life. And I'm sure you mm-hmm. have probably tried to do the same sure. thing because we have to look at it as, as, you know, life is, life is too short now, sure. you know, and... We're going through some really hard times, but we really have to find those positive things. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you have tried to really yeah. preserve that with your family, and that's that's a big thing for a lot of people now.
1: Nina, of course, you know uh, I'll, I'm going to paint a picture for you on on a Sunday, for example. Let's just pick that day in Harlem. Sunday is a very special day in Harlem because mm-hmm. it's 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 led by church, right? So. Women and men are walk, waking up early and they're dapper. The way you see in Africa or the way you see in the Caribbean, like women are dressed up to the nines. This is their night. This is their day out.
0: Yeah.
1: And the, and the churches are packed. Thousands of thousands of people. And for the restaurant, it means that we have early brunch, breakfast, and then we have a lunch gospel that's done by community kids that are learning um, really discipline and community life through gospel. We have another gospel band upstairs with two different bands, maybe like 30 musicians in the building. Wow. We maybe go through 450 covers for brunch, 500 covers for brunch. Then we quickly turn that around. Afternoon start, people come out of the post-church and strolling, people are not walking on Lennox Avenue. They're really like gliding down and it's mm-hmm. like, it's really fashion week every Sunday, you know? <laughs> Hats, everything. And then we start with a big jazz band and, uh, maybe we do, I don't know, 250, 300 covers that evening. So it's red rooster is the home of 180 staff. Wow. 70 musicians on top of that, 4,000 to 5,000 customers a week. And all the extended workers are, are not really Rooster staff, the cleaners and all of this stuff, like the delivery guys and all that stuff. Now just to paint the picture we were able to give 20 people full-time job wow we have a dj and we have an outdoor patio served so we're doing it and it's very meaningful for those 20 people that are working but you you talk about quiet and noisy and harlem and uplift and there is very few people are walking to churches i mean the the true true people are but it's very very different and that's just one day yeah i could tell you about mondays how that is and it's a very different vibe but so we are open and we're doing our best and you know right now the restaurant is sh- slowly getting back to to what is the safest way but i look at the har- i look at the restaurant as a Pulse beat as a heartbeat of Harlem as a community. When Apollo is not open, Harlem is not doing well. Do you know? So I look at Harlem is not. It's in New York, but it's a completely different village within the city, right? Yeah. So when the institutions like the churches and the Apollo and the Sylvias and the Red Roosters are not going in at full speed, it 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 it's felt because so much of what is Harlem is music and intellectual culture. So when you can't just go to the Schomburg for a reading, or you can't just go to the Apollo for amateur night on Wednesday, it we're in Harlem technically, but we're not. Right. And it, and so hopefully six months from now we can, you know, we can look at this and say, Hey, we got through it, but it, it's, it's, it's a very, very different community, still special, with some highlights that the community are doing things things on the streets, in the parks, but very different, Nina. And I will never forget this time. It's a it's a very special, unique moment. Uh, but I miss I really miss um I hope we can come back to a new normal the quicker the better.
0: So what do you think is gonna look like, let's say a year from now? What do you think the future will look like?
1: You know, predicting the future you know, it's very hard, right? Because it always, something else will happen. But I can do say I'm very positive person just to begin with. And I do think that for black entrepreneurship, this could be a pivotal moment for something positive. For minority uh, entrepreneurship, social media is very big. And for black people and brown people and indigenous people, they may be really not fully participated in the economy at scale. You know, when Wall Street got a 30,000, I'm not sure that the equity of wealth uh, dripped down to people of color necessarily. Right. So I say that with end of the day, I know you're going to do great. You're going to pivot and you're going to figure out a way. And this is who we are, right? You're going to open a your Bywater restaurant might pivot to do a jerk stand, but it will be the best jerk stand <laughs> with the best coconut water and some sea moss in that. And that might be the new attraction. I don't know, but I know you're gonna figure it out. And that's really what I mean about, we are very strong people. There's a woman in, in the Rice that, uh, she's called Pigfoot Mary, which was okay. one of the first millionaires in Harlem. She came from the South. And um, she posted up on one thirty-fifth, where Schaumburg is today in Lennox. And she made her money by selling pig feet in the 40s and the 50s, and the 30s, and, uh, 30s, 40s and 50s. And eventually she sold so good at selling pig feet, she bought up each brownstone one by one by one.
0: Wow.
1: So I say that because as people, we've gone through very, very, very difficult times. And when times are up, it doesn't necessarily trickle down to us. So when times are bad, it impacts us, but we're also very good at navigating. So if we can stay healthy, we're going to navigate through this. Yeah. And that's what keeps me going. And I, I've also been blessed by having a new book coming out. So I've been getting a lot of feedback from that that's been positive. So who knew that this little book would be the one thing that we would hang on to and connect with the world but you never know when you put things out there nina who knew that the tasting menu would be the one thing that people would start dancing in your restaurant (laughs) but you went home and said i'm nina compton not giving up that was the commitment that you said so there will be ideas like this i don't know which one it's going to be but i know you're going to navigate through it and i can't wait to go down there and eat with you and break bread and say to you, yes. remember that, remember six remember a year ago? And we can have a glass of bourbon or rum and really celebrate. With that, I have to say, we have to say a huge big up to Miss Nina Compton. Uh-oh. And when you're in St. Lucia, go to Grosselet, and when yes. you're in Nola, go to La Pen or buy water, because it's both gonna be amazing experience.
0: And if you're in Harlem, I want to come on a Sunday. I want to come yes. to Harlem. <laughs> I want to come dressed up, and I want to go to the gospel brunch.
1: Well, you look gorgeous today, and you got your hat on already. I, I so what a hat re- for you! Yeah, I couldn't get my hat on. I, I was <laughs> like, "How am I? I'm like, how am I gonna like like this? It's very rarely I don't have a hat on. So I was like, "I know. Take it
0: you're always very colorful and vibrant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so we do you have anything you.
0: in closing that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I would say 220 is, for me, also a year of gratitude. And you have to acknowledge your privilege and the fact that my family and I, my extended restaurant family, we are healthy. We lost friends. And uh, little by little, we will be back. Red Rooster is not at its shiniest moment at this moment because we are all going through it but it we will be fully back i know that and um also to have the privilege to be able to to share the rise share the book has been something that given me a lot of hope so i am positive about the future i'm nervous about november 4th but that's a whole other discussion <laughs> that's, a <little> <laughs> that's a whole other discussion but i'm also a positive optimist at heart and um, from one immigrant to another immigrant. Lovely you miss Nina Compton and thank you so much for sharing the space. I appreciate you.
0: That was the Cost Catch-Up with me, Nina Compton, my great friend, Marcus Samuelson. Hit subscribe in your podcast app if you'd like to hear more and head to coststores.com to join the conversation online. Thank you for listening.